Christian choir. I'm not sure about the selection of that when we are trying to raise money for Project Next and then sing Jesus Paid It All, I'm not, <laughs> not sure how that works. Did you make that decision, Keith? Steve did. Okay. When someone's not here, you have someone to blame. That's wonderful. I've been speaking to you about the next generation. Let me ask you a question. If you had the opportunity to say something to the next generation, what would you say to them? Before the ascension, Jesus spoke to the church, which was the next generation, and gave to them the Great Commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So, as Jesus is addressing the next generation, the church, he said, there are two things I want you to do. I want you to evangelize, make disciples, and I want you to disciple those who are evangelized. That was his message to the next generation. The Apostle Paul was giving instruction to Timothy, who was the next generation. What did he say to him? He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That was his message to the next generation, to Timothy. Well, today we're going to look at David's charge to his son Solomon, who was the next generation. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We'll begin in verse number 1. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and inlaid stones, stones of antimony and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in abundance." And moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God, over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple, namely 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and so forth. He talks about that. Then in verse number 6, Then the rulers of the fathers' households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly. And then it tells what they gave. And then in verse number 9, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Then in verse 28, Then David died in a ripe old age, full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon reigned in his place. There are several lessons that we can learn, and you can read this passage uh, when you're at home. It's a wonderful passage and teaches so much. But there are several lessons that we can learn from David's instruction to his son the next generation. The first being, 
that the direction of your life overcomes the disappointments of your life. Now, there are disappointments in life, and certainly David had disappointments in his life. For instance, there was the disappointment of his sin. David sinned against God, loved God, but sinned against God when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But he acknowledged his sin in Psalm 51, verse number 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You see, that, that is a, a penitent heart. David, David acknowledged his sin, confessed his sin. He was disappointed in himself because of his sin. Like many parents, he was also disappointed in his children. He had one son who raped a daughter. He had another son, Absalom, who tried to usurp the authority that belonged to him to take the throne that belonged to David. So there was the disappointment that that came from his family. But there was also the disappointment of his inability to build a temple. In chapter 28, look at verse number 2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I had made preparations to build it. Now, that was his heart. That's what he wanted to do. He said, I I wanted to build the temple for God. And the next verse, verse 3, But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Can you imagine the disappointment of David? David had dreamed about building the temple for God And when the time came, God said, David, you are not going to be able to do that because you're a man of war. So there was the disappointment that came to him. Though that was in his heart, he wanted to build this temple for God. He was not allowed to do so. There was the disappointment. Folks, we cannot avoid disappointment in life. We can only decide how we're going to respond to it. Now, David... There was the disappointment of sin, and in Psalm 51, he's pouring his heart out to God in confession and repentance. He dealt with his sin. There was the disappointment of not being able to build the temple, and yet he remained committed to building the temple. In our text, verse number 2, Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and inlaid stones, stones of antimony and stones of various color and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Do you see that? David was disappointed that he could not build the temple. He was not allowed to build the temple but he remained committed to it. He raised all that needed to be to build the temple. He remained committed to it. That was his response. Let me give you another example of that of Moses. And you know the story of Moses. The Lord called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people out of Egyptian bondage. They were enslaved by the Egyptians at that time. And the days that followed were days of miracles. 
I mean, the Lord sent the plagues to force Pharaoh to allow the people to go. When they came to the Red Sea, the Bible says that the waters opened up and they walked across on dry land. So the Lord was with them as he was leading them to the promised land. Here's the disappointment. Though Moses led them out of bondage, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4, uh, 34, 4, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. That's the disappointment. Moses led the people of Israel out of bondage. He led them during the times of the plagues. He led them through the Red Sea, but he was not allowed to go into the promised land with them. That was the disappointment. But the direction of his life overcame the disappointment. Because the scripture says in Deuteronomy 34.10, Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Let me ask you a question. Have you had disappointments in life? you have. We all have faced disappointments in life of some form or the other. But the direction of our lives, the direction we travel, allows us to overcome the disappointments if we understand that our disappointments can become God's appointments. When God called me to preach, it was a disappointment. I didn't want to preach. I, I never, I really hadn't considered it. And I, I knew some preachers, and, and I thought they were strange, and so I didn't identify with those that I knew. And uh, so it was a disappointment to me that God called me to the ministry. But honestly, there is not anything I can imagine doing. And I thank God for calling me. When, when the Lord would not allow me to return to Texas. And I came here, I was disappointed that God did not allow me to go back home. But there is no place I'd rather be and plan to spend the rest of my life in South Carolina. My disappointment is God's appointment. When the planning committee was making plans for our student needs, and we took all the needs that we have and gave them to an architect. And he began to design a building and then came to the planning committee and said to the committee, the building for our students will cost us between nine and a half and thirteen million dollars. First of all, we were shocked and then we were disappointed. Had no idea that it was going to be that. A disappointment. But then the Lord made the why available. You see, folks, here's the thing I, I would like for you to understand is that the disappointments of life can be overcome by the direction we travel in life. Because then, the disappointments we face become the appointments of God. So, direction then overcomes disappointment. The second thing I see here is that direction overcomes disappointment, and direction is determined by devotion. You see, it is the devotion of something 
that determines the purpose of something. Now, we're talking about the temple here. Understand that the temple was devoted to God. If you look there in verse number 1b, he said, For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Everything about the temple was not about David. The temple was not about Solomon. The temple was about God. And everything in the temple was about God. The showbread, the altar, the holy of holies. Everything in the temple was all about God. Same thing is true with the church. Did you know that the church is all about God? That is reflected in our ministries. That is reflected in our programs. That is even reflected in our buildings. Now, let's take a little journey here. Thinking about the church being about God. This building, this sanctuary, what's it for? One of you brightest deacons, what's it for? Worship. So why do we come in here? We come in here to worship God. I mean, we sing praises to God. We study the Word of God. We commit our lives to God. This building is all about God. That's what it's about. Well, some of you might say, well, what about the Family Life Center? It's about God, too. Because the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body... Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The Family Life Center, it's about God. The education buildings, they are about God because they are used to equip our minds. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The education buildings, they're all about God because they develop our minds. So whenever we're talking about the why and the development of the why, you know how it's going to be used? To reach students for Christ, to share the gospel, to reach students, and then to teach them the word of God. You know, that is desperately needed today because there, there is so much theology today that is not centered in the Word of God. And we need to do that. We need to be committed to reaching students with the gospel and being honest with the Word of God, telling them what it is. So devotion determines purpose. And when we are committed to his purpose, we want to participate in his will. Now look at David's participation. Remember, what was his disappointment? He was not allowed to build the temple. That was his disappointment. But he continued to participate, though he was not allowed to build it. So look at verse number 3. And moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God, over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. Did you notice David said that I delight in the house of my God? Oh, I, I hope that is the way you feel. I was talking, I don't, some, I don't, I don't I remember who it was. I was talking with somebody this morning and as I was walking back, I said, I'm glad you're here today. And I said, this is the highlight of my week. Well, it is mine too. Whenever I come to worship our Heavenly Father with you, that's what, that's what David is saying. He said, it is the delight of my life. 
And we see the devotion of God when he says, the house of my God is my God. It's his house. It's my God. It's my God. There was devotion. And then there was the donation that he gave. I, I was reading and doing some study on this passage of Scripture because of the offering that David gave. What I read was that the amount he gave would be equivalent today to $2 billion. Now, we wouldn't have a campaign if we had that, would we? $2 billion that he gave. So David participated, even though he was disappointed in not being able to to build the temple, he continued to participate. And then the Bible says that the leaders participated. Look at verse number 6. Then the rulers of the fathers' households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly. So David's generosity, his response, his participation motivated the leaders to give as well. The Bible says that they gave willingly. The word willingly that is used there means to volunteer. It was not a matter of coercion. It was not a matter of pressure. The Bible says that they gave willingly. They gave what they had in verse number 8. And whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jael, the Gershonite, and so forth. As I was doing the study on this, they said what the leaders gave would be equivalent today to $4 billion. We just need $6 million, and they got $6 billion just with the two of them. David and that. They gave, the Bible says, willingly. All right, so here's what I want you to see, is that David committed. The leaders then were inspired. They committed. And then the Bible says that the people participated in verse number 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. The Bible says that now then the people give willingly. They are not coerced either. And it says that they rejoiced. And the word rejoice that is used there literally means to brighten up. There was no sad countenance on their face. I mean, when they filled out their pledge card, it was, oh, well, you hate to do this. There was no sad countenance. The Bible says that they brightened up. It was a joyful thing that they did. They were not sad. I believe that where we are this, um, this evening, our leaders make their pledges. Next Sunday when we come together, uh, then our church family, we will make our pledges together. And I believe that it's going to be a joyful commitment. I really do. I believe that it is going to be a joyful commitment because we give willingly to the Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here's what I want you to see. Devotion leads or determines purpose. Purpose leads to participation. And then that leads us to praise. And we see the praise of the people. Now, do you, do you have the context here? They are giving to build the temple. There is great joy among them. And now then they begin to praise the Lord. God who is faithful in verse number 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. In other words, there was a history of faithfulness from God. God had been faithful to them. 
And they could look back to see his faithfulness. When, when the Lord called Moses, do you recall that Moses said, Lord, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Why should Pharaoh listen to me? There's no reason for him to listen to me. I'm inadequate for the task. But God enabled him and made him adequate for the task. And he led them out of bondage. What about Abraham? When Abraham went to, or God went to Abraham and Sarah and told them they were going to have a child, Abraham's near 100 years old. So he said, you know, chances are not real good at that. And he looked over at Sarah and said, she's no spring chicken either. But God gave them Isaac. I think that's what David is thinking about here. All those events in their history where God had been faithful to them. And here's what I believe. Folks, I really believe that if you seek the Lord as we come to this time, and you're obedient to the Lord, that God is going to enable you to do what He places on your heart. I believe that. Steve called me yesterday, and he said, How are you feeling about about the pledging? And I said, Steve, in fact, Wes asked me this morning, and I said, I told Steve yesterday, I said, you know, Steve, it's different this time. I do not know of anyone who's going to give a million dollars. I don't know of anyone who's going to give half a million dollars. I'm hoping you're out there, but at any rate, I don't know. But I told Steve yesterday, and my wife has asked me several times, she said, how do you feel about it? And I said, you know, Lynn, I have real peace about it. I said, I think that we have done everything that we know to do. I think we've done everything that we're supposed to. We've we've prayed. We've gotten the word out. We've done all those things. Now then, we're just going to have to trust the Lord. Oh, no, has it come to that? (laughs) See, we're in a position of faith now. It's just trusting the Lord. We, We tell the people and trust the Lord to do what he's going to do. So we're at a time of faith now. But I believe that God is faithful. And then they praise the Lord because He is faithful. They praised Him because He is great in verse number 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything is from you, says God, you're great. I like this passage of Scripture because they're praising the Lord. God, you are faithful. Aren't you glad your God is faithful? Lord, you enable us to do anything you tell us to do. God, you're great. You are the great God. You are the powerful God. He healed the lame. He raised the dead. He is powerful. He is the ruler. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And he says in verse number 12 that he is the source of everything we have. You know, when you give, you're not giving your money. You're giving that that God has entrusted to you because you are a steward. I am a steward. Sometimes we think that we are giving something to God. We're not giving anything to God. It's His. I'm just the manager of that that He allows me to manage. I'm a steward. And that's the reason that I'm to do what He says because it is His. So devotion determines direction. And then the direction of your life determines the legacy that you leave. David left a legacy of loyalty. Look at verse number 18. O Lord... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their heart to thee. David knew of Israel's tendency to stray away from God, and he wanted this commitment to be a testament of their loyalty. That's what he's saying. He wanted their commitment to be a testimony 
concerning their future loyalty to the Lord. I believe when we make our pledges, it's more than a financial number. It is a statement of our loyalty to God. It is our legacy. We live in a legacy. David left a legacy of loyalty. He left a legacy of faith in verse number 19. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do them all and to build the temple for which I have made provision. This verse is especially meaningful to me because David is passing his faith on to his son. David was a man of faith. And now then he's passing his faith on to his son Solomon. Folks, our faith does not die with us. My dad passed his faith on to me. Linda and I have tried to pass our faith on to Stephanie and Eric. And now then they are passing their faith on to their children. See, that's the legacy a legacy of faith, that we pass our faith on to the next generation. And that's what David is doing there. He left a legacy of worship in verse number 20. Then David said to all the the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. So he led them in worship, and we also leave a legacy of worship. When I'm not here any longer, when I'm dead and gone, have passed, whatever euphemism you want, when I'm no longer here, I want my children and my grandchildren to remember me as someone who loved the Lord. Now, I'm not perfect, pretty close, but I'm not perfect. I mess up a lot and I do stupid things. In fact, I do stupid things so often that when I'm in certain settings, I, have, I, I pray and say, God, don't let me do something stupid today because I have that tendency. But I love the Lord. And though I didn't go to all the ball games of my children and my grandchildren, I want them to know that I always wanted them in church. Because I value the things of God more than the things of the world. And that is the legacy that I want to leave to them. David left a legacy of joy in verse number 21. And on the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered the burnt offerings and so forth. So they ate and drank that day before the Lord with great gladness. They were not celebrating the completion of the temple. They were celebrating the commencement of the temple. Our time of commitment will be a time of joy, I believe. I I know it is for me, and I hope it is for you, that our time of commitment is is a time of joy because we are actually investing in something that is eternal, and our commitment is to impact the next generation with the gospel of Christ. And I think that we are all in agreement that we absolutely must do that. That there is no choice for us if the gospel is going to continue on from here. We must reach the next generation with the gospel of Christ. So let me conclude. 
David sinned. He was not a perfect man. But the thing that blessed me about it in part is that David died satisfied. Look at verse 28. Then he died in a ripe old age full of days, riches and honor. And his son Solomon reigned in his place. He died satisfied. We are called on to sacrifice to reach the next generation for Christ. And that's what this is all about. It is going to require sacrifice on our part to reach the next generation for Christ. But I believe that if we commit in faith and generosity that we will be satisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, there is coming a day when you and I are no longer going to be here. You're not going to be here. Nor am I. When the plaques of achievement are all packed away in drawers and the ticket stubs attesting to events we've attended have been filed away, what will your legacy be? What will give testimony that you were here? You know what I think David's testimony was in a sentence? He was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. He was a man after God's own heart. As you and I go through this and we seek the Lord, it is my prayer that it will be said of you that you were a man, you were a woman, after God's own heart. Our gracious Father, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word, to worship together. You are our God, you're the Lord, you're great, and you enable us to do what you lead us to do. Father, we come to a time of invitation and ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we will stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, would you trust him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.